Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, a Disciple's Journey. Let's jump right into Mormon chapter 5. So Mormon, uh, it says that he repents of the oath. And I don't think that means that he was wrong. I think it means that he changed his mind and that it, the time had changed. And now he says, okay, I'll, I'll lead them. But we got to look at the years here. And we got to recognize he's he's getting up there in age. He's um I want to like sixty pushing seventy years old, and yet they still wanted him. If he's going to go back and lead, it's because they wanted him. Why would they want him? Because whether they wanted to recognize it or not, or whether they did recognize it or not, they wanted him because he had the light of Christ, and they saw in him a hope. They gave him some hope, and so he goes back and. He, I use that, and it's, he was out without hope. It says, behold, I was without hope, for I knew the judgments of the Lord. But that didn't mean he stopped fighting and trying to do good. Because I think one thing we don't have in this record is the individual lives that Mormon was able to touch. We don't, I mean, we, the only life that we really have is his son Moroni, but I can't imagine that his son Moroni was the only life that he touched they did they did we get we do learn that they all died basically but that doesn't mean that that doesn't at all mean that they were all wicked all of them 100% mormon himself wasn't wicked but he but he lived during this time and he himself was killed in this battle and it and so to, to i think to me again i i try to look at this as it's difficult at times, but try to put myself in the time with these real life people. Our world is terrible and wicked and there are terrible, wicked people and there are terrible, wicked things happening all over the world in our society and our countries and everywhere. But that doesn't mean we stop fighting. We know that the second coming is coming and there's going to be commotion and upheaval and chaos, but that doesn't mean we stop fighting for truth and right and justice. It doesn't mean we uh, stop being an example. And Mormon knew that. He knew that there was no hope for this to stop, be stopped. For the chaos to stop. For the death to stop. But he kept fighting because he could make an impact on his life. On his son's life. And however many countless individuals we don't know about. He makes this specific mention in verse 8. That he doesn't want to tell us all about all the wickedness that he saw. We have some record of it in this book and in the book of Moroni. But it was not a fun time to be alive. And yet he is, has this strong... I don't know. Just conversion to the Lord that comes through in his writings. Um, in verse... Well, really, it's from verses like 8 through 11. He's, t- he's talking about how terrible these things are. And he says, and I remember I remember reading this. Uh, I was in Fairfield, Iowa on my mission. It was the second area of my mission. And I remember reading this chapter, these verses. And I don't know if it's because I was more converted and I had become more converted over time, obviously on my mission, 
it was far from the first time I had read the Book of Mormon for the first time. I had read it many times. But as I read these words, and he says, And now, behold, this I speak unto their seed, and also to the Gentiles who have care for the house of Israel, that realize and know from whence their blessings come. And so he's saying, I'm speaking to the house of Israel and from the people who know where their blessings come. Remember, he specifically has said back in chapter what three that they boast, these people that he, he lived with, they boasted in their own strength and they did not realize that it was the Lord that had spared them. And so he's saying, I'm not writing to them. I'm writing to the house of Israel and to they who know where their blessings come. And I remember thinking, that's me. I recognize the Lord's hand in my life. I recognize that it's all of my blessings come from him. So I'm like, I, I read that verse and I'm thinking like, I remember thinking, oh, that's me. And then it says, for I know that such will sorrow for the calamity of the house of Israel. They will sorrow for the destruction of this people. They will sorrow that this people had not repented, that they might have been clasped in the arms of Jesus. And it hit me. I remember this. Like, I, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The spirit and just, but then also, I know, I know crying shouldn't be confused with the spirit, but there was a spirit for sure. But then there was just this deep sadness that I felt. And for the first time in my life, these people that we've read about, these wicked people, these people who had revolted and rebelled against God became real people to me. They became real sons and daughters of God, and I, I, I did. I sorrowed for their destruction, and the last line that it says, "And they'll sorrow for this people had not repented that they might have been clasped in the arms of Jesus." That hit me because one of my favorite, like if I have to say, name a single individual favorite verse in the Book of Mormon. There's always two that I kind of go back and forth between, but one of them is in Second Nephi, chapter one, verse fifteen. It's Lehi speaking, and he says, But behold, I, the Lord, hath redeemed, uh, sorry, but behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell, and I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. And so that line of Mormon writing that, that we should sorrow because they're, they didn't repent and they were not clasped in the arms of Jesus, hit me because that verse that Lehi wrote is one of my favorites because I've felt that. I have felt that the Lord has I felt that the Lord has redeemed me and that I am wrapped in his arms of mercy and love. And so then to think these people missed out on that, that's, that's worth sorrow. That's, that is sorrowful. Um, as we move on in chapter five, uh, Mormon testifies that the Book of Mormon will come forth to persuade the house of Israel uh, to convince all of Israel that Jesus is the Christ. And uh, and then in verse 23 it says, Know ye not that ye are in the hands of God? Know ye not that he hath all power? And at his great command, the earth shall be rolled together as a scroll. And this, this uh, imagery of hands in the hands of the Lord uh, denotes that, that we are at his mercy and his power. Elder Craig uh, Zwick said, Hands are one of the symbolically explicit, expressive parts of the body. In Hebrew, yad, the most common word for hand, is also used metaphorically to mean power, strength, and might. Thus, hands signify power and strength. 
To be in the hands of God would suggest that we are not only under his watchful care, but also that we are guarded and protected by his wondrous power. Throughout the scriptures, reference is made to the hand of the Lord. His divine assistance is evidenced over and over again. His powerful hands created worlds, and yet were gentle enough to bless little children. Every one of us needs to know that we can go in the strength of the Lord. We can put put our hand in his, and we will feel sustaining presence to lift us to unattainable heights unattainable alone. How do we learn to extend our hand and connect to the comfort provided by the Lord? Here are four keys. Learn, listen, seek the Spirit, pray. Pray always. The Lord will provide sustenance and support if we are willing to open the door and receive His hand of divine assistance. Imagine the wounds in His hands, in His weathered hands, yet, yes, even His hands of torn flesh and physical sacrifice. Give our own hands greater power and direction. It is the wounded Christ who leads us through our moments of difficulty. It is he who bears us up when we need more air to breathe or direction to follow or even more courage to continue. If we will keep the commandments of God and walk hand in hand with him His path in his paths, we will go forward with faith and never feel alone. I love that entire quote. What I want to go back to is one specific part. He said, to be in the hands of God would suggest that we are not only under his watchful care, but also that we are guarded and protected by his wondrous power. How do we be in his hands? How do we be under and guided by and protected by his wondrous power? Well, in the ordinance of the priesthood is the power of godliness manifest. We make and keep sacred covenants through the ordinances of the priesthood at baptism and in the temple. That's how we access the power of God. It is how we can be clasped in his hands. It is how we can be using the words of Mormon here, clasped in the arms of Jesus. Uh, so things are not going great for Mormon and his people here. And as we transition into chapter 6, there's going to be a great final battle, and uh, Mormon is going to despair and lament. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to wrap Mormon chapter 6 into this uh, episode as well. Uh, Because in verses 16 through 22, while we're talking about hands and being clasped in the arms of Jesus, I want to read what Mormon said about his people. He said, And my soul was rent with anguish because of the slain of my people, and I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood with open arms to receive you? Behold, if ye had not done this, ye would not have fallen. But behold, ye are fallen, and I mourn your loss. O ye fair sons and daughters, ye fair ye fathers and mothers, ye husbands and wives, ye fair ones, how is it that ye could not? How is it that ye could have fallen? But behold, ye are gone, and my sorrow cannot bring you your return. And the day soon cometh that your mortal must put on immortality, and these bodies which are now moldering in corruption must soon become incorruptible bodies. And then you must stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged according to your works. And if it so be that ye are righteous, then ye are blessed with your fathers who have gone before you. Oh, that ye had repented before this great destruction had come upon you. Behold, ye are gone, and the Father, yea, the eternal Father of heaven, and, and uh, of the eternal Father of heaven, knoweth your state, and he doeth with you according to his justice and mercy. Now it's a sad. It's a sad poem, 
but I, that strikes me as very poetic and beautifully written. And again, I think, how did a man who lived his life in bloodshed and war, in hardship and trial and dark and depressing times, learn to write like that and write so beautiful, beautifully and eloquently about judgment and about Christ and about his arms of mercy and the, how he did it, I think, is he was of sober mind and therefore he was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. Despite what was going on around him, he had his eyes firmly set on the light of the world, on Jesus Christ. That allowed him to be full of light. It allowed him to lead his family with light. It allowed him to teach his son Moroni, who sits upon the temple around the world, blowing his trumpet to welcome in and uh, usher in the second coming of Christ. This man, Mormon, was able to be faithful in dark and depressing times. And I think there is a, there is much that we can learn from him. Uh, in closing out, just a recap of chapter 6. They've gathered together in the land of Camorra, a great last battle. And, I mean, hundreds of thousands of Nephites are killed in a single battle. And essentially the entire Nephite civilization is wiped out uh, in, in this battle and in, in the other battles surrounding, uh, leading up to this time. But Mormon, like Nephi, knew in who he trusted. He knew that he had been clasped in the arms of Jesus. And he knew that no matter what happened in battle, he knew that he would probably lose his life. He was afraid, even writing to his son Moroni, that he would never see his son Moroni again because one of them would be killed. He lived with this fear that I think, I hope, and I, you can see he was a human. I hope that you can, you can relate to that. I think you can probably relate to that. To the fear and uncertainty in the world that you live in. And the trials and hardship that your family faces. And yet he wrote. Again, I, I we'll talk about it more when we get to chapter 7 of Moroni. Moroni chapter 7 is, the, is probably the most full of hope chapter in the entire Book of Mormon. It is, it is about faith, hope, and charity. That's what he wrote about. And he doesn't just do it like uh, rotely. He does it beautifully and eloquently as only one who had experienced faith and hope and charity could do. And so from Mormon, what we can learn is that faith and hope and charity are attainable even in the darkest of times. Even and especially for our enemies. Think back to... uh, I think of... Well, a few thoughts just flooded my my mind here. So the Nephites started swearing upon all the, by all the things that Christ had, had forbidden them. Christ also taught them to pray for 
those your enemies, right? And love your enemies. In the same chapter, 35 chapter 12. And yet, what did the Lamanites and the Nephites start to do back and forth in Nephi chapter 1 and leading into these wars? They taught their children to hate their enemies, to hate the Nephites. They, they taught them the exact opposite thing that Christ had taught them. Mormon, meanwhile, was leading a life that allowed him to write Moroni chapter 7 with authority. He was leading a life that he was teaching his children to love their, his, their enemies, to love the wicked, their wicked brethren around them. And so what we can learn, what I can learn from Mormon, is that no matter the time that we live in, no matter who we have who we associate with and who we have to do have dealings with no matter what our community and our society and our cities and states and countries are choosing to do around us we can have faith hope and charity without charity we're nothing the reverse of that is true as well with charity we are everything we are like we can become everything. We can become like Christ. And that's up to us, no matter what's going on around us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for my wife, uh, as always, for letting me uh, record. Another shout out to my mother-in-law, Devery, for the recording equipment. I appreciate it. Thank you all for listening, and I appreciate you. I hope you'll join me next week as we finish out the Book of Mormon. Uh, well, like Mormon, 789. Not, we're not finishing the entire book. 789 next week. Enjoy your studies this week. I look forward to hearing from you, and thank you.